Hey, Titus chapter 1, you with me tonight? Hey, come on now, Pastor Tyler's kind of been chastising us a little bit over the last couple of Wednesday nights about just showing up and not being here. And uh, so let's make sure that we're here, not just in body but in spirit. Verse 5, for this cause, Paul is, is writing to Titus, for this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting. So that set in order was, we get our word orthopedics from that Greek word. It means to, to reset. It means to uh, straighten out. I think we even get the word orthodontics from, from that Greek word, which is straightening and, 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 and setting things right uh, in the mouth as well. And so there were some things that weren't right in the ministry there. And uh, so Paul has, has left Titus there to, to, to straighten some of those things out and to make some of those things right. Um, and to ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. If any man be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. For a bishop must be blameless, excuse me, as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. So let's, let's start tonight with uh, just a little explanation of, of this whole ordination thing. The Modern meaning of the word ordination uh, is the investiture of clergy. Or a more simple definition would be the act of granting pastoral authority. Now the biblical definition is a little different <clears throat> in that it did not always refer to pastoral leadership. For example, uh, Joseph, the Bible says in Acts chapter 7, uh, was ordained, or the word that we're going to read in just a moment, was made governor over Egypt. Look at it on the screen, Acts 7:10, and, and delivered him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he, that's God, made him, made Joseph governor over Egypt and all his house. Now, if you'll study that, the Greek word for made in Acts 7.10 is the same word for ordained in Titus chapter 1 and verse 5. Um, but Joseph was not ordained, as we would think of it today, in a pastoral sense. He was he was. Uh, ordained, if you will, in, in more of a political position than he was a ministry position. 
Matthew 24 and verse 45 says, Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made, there's that word again, hath made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season. So here the word made is used in the same way as we just read it in Acts chapter 7 and verse 10. Now, keep your place there in Titus and turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 6. The book of Acts chapter 6. I want to read the first four verses here. They will be familiar uh, to most of you who would attend church on a Wednesday night. may be new to some, so I'd encourage you to turn there. If you have your Bibles or if you have access to a Bible on your phone or, or uh, uh, iPad or whatever. But in verse 1 it says, And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, uh, that is, when as the church grew, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them, and they said to them, It's not reason or it's not reasonable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men, and there's your list of, of qualifications here, honest report, they must be full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Look there, let me, let me find it again. The end of verse 3, that we may appoint over this business. Appoint really best explains the general meaning of, of what it meant to ordain someone. Overall, in the Bible, when we see the word made or appoint, ordained that's what it's talking about uh, um, Joseph was made he was appointed as the governor we talked about in Matthew 24 about uh, appointing someone as a steward and they were looking for for men to appoint over this business uh, but it could be used interchangeably with the word ordain now go to Acts chapter 13 uh, which includes I think the best example of a ministerial appointment as will take place here on July the 31st. Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, uh, Barnabas and Simeon, it was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaen, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, watch this, and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. That is probably the clearest picture of what's going to take place 
on Friday night, July 31st, in all of the scriptures. I want you to note some things here real quick. Number one, we learn from this that it is the Lord who chooses and calls men for ministry. The Holy Ghost said, speaking for God, obviously, the Holy Ghost said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work, look at this, whereunto I have called them. I have mentioned this on numerous occasions that from the time he was just a little guy, uh, Katie and myself uh, sensed that, that Pastor Tyler would be in the ministry. We just, we just had that, that sense. It was just obvious. It was there. You could see it. It was clear. Um, that that was really what we would not be surprised if God put him in the ministry. And, and some of you who saw him growing up and, and have known him all of his life, I'm guessing when, uh, when he steps in the pulpit as your pastor, it's not going to surprise you because you knew him at a young age, um, that there was that, there was that, that leaning uh, in his life. But I can tell you this, had God not called him into the ministry, we would, we would not have loved him or supported him any less. Listen, he was not mama called and papa sent. If you ask me, that's the problem with a lot of pulpits today. You got mamas who want their, their, their boys to be pastors. And so she tells daddy, hey, you make that boy pastor. So daddy, daddy sends him off into Bible college uh, when God doesn't have anything to do with that. God is the one who calls and chooses people for the ministry. Churches do not do that. God does that. Now, here's what the church does. You do play a role in this process, and here's what you do. You recognize God's clear leading and embrace it. And so that's going to be your part in the service on, on July 31st. And, and I'll explain more about that later. And in essence, you've already done that back on January the 12th when you voted unanimously to call Pastor Tyler as your next pastor. You've, you've recognized God's hand on him. You've recognized what you believe to be God's calling on his life. And we will, um, we will finalize that on July the 31st. And then I want you to understand this tonight. Ordination is a local church matter. Pastor and Tyler have had this uh, discussion uh, a couple of times of late. Um, this whole process of, of ordination, the way that we're, that the way we're going to do it and have done it, I mean, it's really evolved over the years uh, from... From what we just read in Acts chapter 13, it has really evolved over the years to include things that, that I personally think are good, that I personally think are beneficial, but in all honesty, things that are not necessary. Things that, that we do not have to do to biblically ordain Pastor Tyler into the ministry. For example, an ordination council. That's a man-made um, 
That's a man-made thing. There were no ordination councils in Acts chapter 13. The church noticed God's call on, on the lives of Barnabas and Saul, and the church laid hands on those men and ordained them and sent them away. There wasn't, a, there wasn't an ordination council uh, that to question these men as to their doctrinal positions and, and then, then checked off on them. That's a, that's a modern-day invention. It, it's an extra-biblical thing. Now, I don't think it's a bad thing. I really don't. I, I don't think that it's a terribly bad thing. Pastor Tyler, at this point, he's not really all for it. <laughs> neither was I when I was getting ordained. Neither was Brother John or Brother Alfred when they were getting ordained. Because nobody wants to sit in front of a, a bunch of seasoned pastors and be grilled about what they believe in the Bible. Not that they don't know what they believe. It's just that's a lot of pressure. And, uh, but it is what it is. I, 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 think, it's a, I think it's a good thing. Um, Pastor Tyler's ordination council will consist of myself um, and some men who have been close to him, a special him, and have served as mentors in his life along the way. Brother Jerry Locke, um, Brother Jim Love, Brother Dan Preston, uh, Brother John Vaught, and Brother Alfred King. Now, here's what's going to happen. Prior to the service on Friday at 6, um, we will meet in the conference room, Pastor Tyler, myself, and those five men will meet in the conference room. Um, now, they've already received uh, a written um, explanation of his beliefs on, on what we would call the cardinal doctrines of the faith and a few extra things along the way, uh, like the church and salvation and the ordinances and the baptism of the Lord's Supper uh, end times, uh, things of that nature. He, it's three or four pages. He has, has typed it all out. He's given detailed explanation of what he believes about those things. So that time on Friday night will be just a time uh, for them to receive any um, further explanation or maybe some clarification if there's something um, that uh, they're not quite sure on. Maybe it wasn't worded just like they would have liked it to have been worded, and so they may ask for some clarification, make sure he's on the same page. Uh, doctrinally, uh, they may, they may want to ask another question or two uh, about other things. Um, listen, uh, Brother Mike's over there. He could tell you some horror stories that he's heard from Bible college friends of his about who've gone through ordination. Pastors have asked some of the dumbest questions ever. I mean, it, it's just, it just sickens me because sometimes pastors get into these things and think it stumped the candidate night. And that's not what it's, it's not about embarrassing Pastor Tyler. It's not about stumping him. Well, what, what do you think the ten toes on the wild beast mean? Or, you know, who, who, was, who was having intercourse with each other there in Genesis chapter 6? Well, that stuff doesn't matter. Okay, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the cardinal doctrines of the faith. Uh, you think I'm kidding back here, Brother Rick. That's really, I'm serious, brother. He's about to have a cow back here. <laughs> I'm telling you, preachers can get stupid. I just say that. Yeah, preachers can get really wacko sometimes. Um, but again, uh, understand tonight that the use of ordination council isn't something that must happen. I'll tell you what we could do on Friday night, July the 31st. We could just call a church meeting and we could lay hands on Pastor Tyler that night and he would be officially ordained. 
Doesn't need to be any or other ordained men in the building. But we were choosing to, to do that and, and follow tradition um, because I, I, think it's, I think it's advantageous. I think that it's good that our church uh, sees that other men of God have interrogated Pastor Tyler. They, they, they believe him to be doctrinally sound. Uh, and that night they will present him to you as a church. You will make the ultimate call. Whether we wasted our time or whether you're, 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 yeah, it's good, let's do this. And you will make the ultimate call that night. I'll call for a church vote, and uh, you will either make it happen or not happen. So let's, let's get quickly into the qualifications, because um, Paul actually lists the qualifications of a pastor twice. He does it, he already had already done it in 1 Timothy chapter 3. He does it again um, many of the same things, some of them worded a little different. He does it again here in Titus uh, chapter 1. So we're just going to run through these real quick, and I'm going to make a lot of commentary. I will read a few quotes um, and, and just try to explain what these mean and go on. Uh, so here are the list of qualifications that Pastor Tyler must meet in order to be a biblical pastor. Uh, first of all, right off the bat, he must be blameless. Uh, this must be a big deal because Paul mentions it twice in the book of Titus. Uh, Puritan pastor Richard Baxter said it well when he said, Take heed to yourselves, lest your example contradict your doctrine, and lest you lay such stumbling blocks before the blind as may be the occasion of their ruin. I like this, lest you unsay with your lives what you say with your tongues and be the greatest hinderers of the success of your own labors. In essence, what Paul is saying there is, is, is the man of God who's going to fill the role as pastor must be above reproach. He must not have anything blamable in his life. And then we go on there, a pastor must be a man. This, is, this would get me into trouble, in trouble in a lot of circles. But I'm telling you, women cannot be the husband of one wife. Amen. And Paul didn't have a slip there. He wrote what he wrote, and he meant what he wrote. Women are not to be pastors. Now they can call themselves whatever they want bishop elder goddess it doesn't matter they are not recognized as as pastors in god's eyes i'm sorry that's that's just not biblical it's not scriptural and you say pastor what about it it doesn't matter what about it's just not biblical you cannot a woman cannot be the husband of one wife now listen, that's not to say, and you know, I've, I've said this so many times before, women have a vitally important role in this church. I shudder to think what this ministry would be like on Sunday if it were not for women. Come on, we'd be in trouble. <laughs> Bottom line. Women have a vital role to play, not just in church, but in home and in the society. Um, but that role, as far as church goes, does not include the leadership of God's people. 
That's not a God-given role, neither is it the God-given role in the home. God has put that responsibility on the man, uh, squarely upon the, the shoulders of the man. I can see this is going over real well, so let's move right along. <laughs> a pastor must have his house in order. First Timothy, um, in 1 Timothy, Paul said it like this. As a matter of fact, let's just turn back there, can we? 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3, let's just turn back there real quick. Um, verses 4 and 5, 1 Timothy 3, verses 4 and 5. Here's how Paul said it in Timothy. One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. And then he, he asked a very common sense question. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Now, doesn't that make sense? I mean, if, if a guy can't, can't lead his own family, then how's he going to lead your family in spiritual things? Uh, look, look back in Titus chapter 1. He said this, um, where did he say it? Having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. Um, many of you may probably don't know this, uh, but the next morning after our oldest son, TJ, uh, years ago, got in trouble with the law. Uh, that was on a, a, a Saturday night, early Sunday morning. Um, that Sunday morning, I called the deacons together before church, and I offered them my resignation because I didn't feel that um, it was a good testimony uh, that, that my son got in trouble uh, with the law. And uh, I, was, I was willing to resign at that point um, as their pastor. And they were kind and they were gracious. And they said, Pastor, we'll have none of it. Um, you've taught him well. You've trained him well. You've led him well. Um, sometimes kids just make stupid decisions and I'm thankful uh, for their for their graciousness but I mean it's an honest question if a, if, if a man can't can't keep his own family in line I mean generally speaking um, then how is he going to uh, how's he going to keep the church of God in line and I'm gonna preach this coming Sunday night some things uh, to you um, about Pastor Tyler and his family, and I hope you'll be here for that. Uh, but they're, they're by no means is Paul saying, hey, their kids have to be perfect. Because listen, pastor's kids are sinners just like your kids are sinners. And they deal with the same temptations that your children deal with. And, and I've never met a pastor's kid yet who was perfect. Tiffany was fit that close. At least it's in my book, maybe not in your mama's book, but hey, her mama's hard nose. <laughs> Tiffany had me like right here, and really still does. So, a pastor must not be self-willed. Literally translated, uh, self-willed means self-pleasing. Um, it identifies one who is only concerned about his own rights and, and is, is unconcerned 
about the rights of others. A pastor must not be easily or quickly angered. Now listen to me carefully. Every pastor is human. Every pastor has buttons. And if you happen to push the wrong one at the wrong time, because he's human, he may get a little animated. It happens. Paul's not talking about those brief moments of, of, of frustration and, and, and maybe even anger. That's not what he's talking about. What he's referring to, the original language suggests a propensity to anger. The quick-tempered person is irritable, and they're touchy, uh, and, and if a man has a short fuse, he really has no business being in the ministry. He's not qualified to be a pastor. A pastor must not be given to wine. The word given means to stay near. We might think of it as being addicted. Here at Fellowship Baptist Church, our belief, our position has always been and continues to be that the pastor has no business imbibing in alcohol at, of any kind at any time, period, full stop. If he does, then he, he's violated his position as pastor. Uh, next, a pastor must not be a striker. Very simple. Don't be punching people. That's exactly what it means. Don't be punching people. I don't think that'll happen. Although, he may be tempted. A pastor must not be greedy. Simply put, a pastor must be free from the love of money, which is the root of all evil. Now, church, that doesn't mean that he shouldn't be paid well. It doesn't mean that he can't live in a nice house. It doesn't mean that he can't drive a nice car. It does not mean that he, him and his family cannot wear nice clothes. But if those things are his motivation for ministry, then according to the word of God, he is unqualified for the office of pastor. A pastor must be given to hospitality. I've taught you this before. That literally means, look it up, it literally means fond of guests. And I can tell you this, one of the reasons that Pastor Tyler and Jenny are so excited about getting the, the home that, that they've, they've wanted up there on Lilac is because they, they want to have the opportunity to host people in their home, numbers of people in their home. And, and 1440 South Grant just doesn't really allow for that. I know that that's, that's one of the reasons that they wanted uh, that home. They're very excited uh, about that, and they will do it willingly, not out of duty. Uh, but the Bible says that that's a qualification for a pastor. Pastor must be a lover of all things good. You still with me? I know this isn't exciting, but it's in the Bible, okay? So stay with me. A pastor must be a lover of all things good. A man is a good man because he has a good heart and he surrounds himself with good things, including good people. And it is inconceivable that a dedicated servant of God 
would deliberately associate with things that are bad for him and his family. A man that would be that foolish really doesn't need to be standing in the pulpit as a pastor leading people. A pastor must be sober. The thought here is self-controlled or temperate. John MacArthur writes, He not only does not become involved in things that are outright immoral and unspiritual, but also avoids things that are trivial, foolish, and unproductive. He knows his priorities and is devoted to them. Next, a pastor must be just. That word talks about being a, a person of integrity who sticks by his word and who practices what he preaches. His conduct must be righteous. And then a pastor must be holy. If you're following the list here, we're just going down the list. A pastor must be holy. And Paul uh, actually connected being just and holy in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 10. Look at it. Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. So to be just and to be holy are in essence the, the same thing. It means to be without blame. And then a pastor must be temperate. A man of God must control drives that lead to impulsive and damaging behavior. And then I want you to look at verse 9 again. If you're still with me, say amen. amen. Verse 9. Verse 9. A pastor must be doctrinally pure, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Listen, church, we are living in a church culture where doctrine does not matter. It just, I'm serious. You could go to virtually any, any church, even in our own community. And doctrine just would not be an issue. It just wouldn't. But I'm telling you, it makes a difference what you believe. This church, I see Diane Nelson over here. It's good to have you with us, Diane. Her and her husband served on the ministry staff here for how long? Seven, seven years. I've told you before, her, her husband um, saved my bacon more times. I mean, I was just a young guy. John knew Brother Landis. He knew how he worked. He knew what he liked. He knew what he disliked. I didn't. And there were times I did stupid things, and John said, don't, 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 don't do that. Brother Landis never found out, which was a Hallelujah. Thanks to her husband. She can attest to this as others who've been in this church for years. This church has been made strong by biblical preaching. And it has been kept pure by sound doctrine. 
And as you sit here on Friday night, July the 31st, Pastor Tyler will sit right there and I will look him in the eyes and I will challenge him, Lord willing, from the book of Jude to keep the faith. We don't need a man at the helm of Fellowship Baptist Church who's going to destroy years and years and years of good, sound, biblical doctrine. We're not talking about Romans 14 things that he's preached on the last two Sunday nights. We're talking about things that matter. Salvation is by grace through faith. And once we're saved, we're always saved. And there are two ordinances in the church. There's baptism and the Lord's Supper. And it makes a difference how you do those two things. And so, if Friday night it appears I'm mad at him, I'm not mad at him. I just want to be very passionate. I want him to understand that the man before me spent 25 years in this pulpit preaching sound doctrine. And I've done my best the last 20 years to stand in his pulpit and preach the same doctrine that I was taught. And I expect, and you should expect, the next pastor to stand in his pulpit and stay true to the Word of God. So that being said, we'll move on. Must be apt to teach is what Paul said in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And I think you would agree with me tonight that preaching and teaching have been and will continue to be the strengths of our new pastor. I know he's young, but I'm telling you. I'm just telling you. Not because he's my son, but because it's true fact. They don't get much better. And what we get when he stands in his pulpit. Some of you have been in other churches. You've heard other pastors. You've served under other pastors. I'm telling you, God's given us something special. He's honest. He's true to the word. And I'm thankful for that. And he's passionate about that. I want you to read what John MacArthur writes in his commentary about this part of the text. It is failure in the area of holding fast the faithful word that is largely responsible for the superficial, self-elevating preaching and teaching in many evangelical churches. Pause there. It just seems to me that, that more and more as time goes on, pastors are, are on Sunday morning are more like life coaches than they are preachers of the word of God. I want a life coach, I'll pay you to be my life coach on Thursday. Preach to me on Sunday. Give me the word of God on Sunday. Tell me what I'm doing wrong on Sunday. Encourage me where I'm right. But don't be afraid to, to shoot straight. He continues, here is the real culprit in the weak, shallow, insipid sermonettes for Christianettes that are such common church fare today. Here's the real villain that has led so many to be converted to what they consider relevancy and therefore to preacher, preaching a pampering, oh my voice, a pampering psychology or become stand-up comics, storytellers, clever speech makers, or entertainers 
who turned churches into what John Piper in his most excellent book, The Supremacy of God in Preaching, has called the slapstick of evangelical worship. I'm thankful that after August 2nd, we'll have none of that in the pulpit. There's a place for humor in preaching. That's not what he's saying. But just listen to the nonsense that passes as preaching today in a lot of places. And it's, it's unbelievable. It's embarrassing. It's not biblical preaching. And I'm thankful that the man who will fill this pulpit will be a Bible preacher. And all God's people said, now let's talk about the ordination itself. We're going to take the offering and get out of here. As I said earlier, the process of Ordination has evolved um, over the years to include things that I think are beneficial but not necessarily mandatory. So here's what's going to happen when you show back up here on on July the 31st, Friday night. As I said, the Ordination Council have already met um, with Pastor Tyler uh, prior to to 6 o'clock and and we've already talked to him and discussed things with him. Um, If his testimony, we'll hear... We'll hear a testimony of uh, Pastor Tyler's salvation. We'll hear his testimony publicly of his call to ministry. Uh, we, will, we will take time to listen to Jenny Lee's testimony of, of salvation as well. Um, and we'll hear that first in the ordination council time. Um, if those men find that to be satisfactory, uh, then they will vote to recommend him to the church for ordina- ordination during the actual service on on Friday night again we'll have both Pastor Tyler and Jenny uh, share those testimonies um, and then he will be asked uh, to explain to you his position on a number of the key doctrines of the Word of God those things that I just talked about Um, he'll be asked to publicly declare his position to you on a number of things and then following that a representative of the ordination council which will be Brother Jerry Locke, will recommend uh, that we proceed with the ordination of Pastor Tyler. I will present that to you as a church. Uh, I'll entertain a motion, and we'll take a second, and we will vote on that. And upon a favorable vote by the church, um, I will invite Pastor Tyler to come and and kneel uh, in front of the congregation, and each member of the ordination council at that point uh, will come and lay hands on him, uh, and we'll pray over him. Now, I understand there's nothing special. There's, there's no, it's not like we're giving him extra anointing or extra spiritual juices. Um, he's, there, he's not going to feel anything when we put our hands on him. It, it, is, it is purely symbolical. It is purely symbolical. These men will be saying by the laying on of hands that we recognize God's call on your life And hereby we are offering this prayer of blessing upon your life and upon your ministry. I still remember that night when those men came and one by one uh, laid their hands on me and prayed over me. Um, It's it's a sacred moment. It really is. And it's a special time. And I, I hope you'll be here Friday night the 31st to see that and to be a part of that and experience that. Um, with with our new pastor and 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 I know you will be